Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast. You'll hear from players, coaches, broadcasters, and writers that cover the NFL on a daily basis. The New Orleans Saints podcast starts right now. Here's your host, Aaron Summers. Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast. We are continuing our draft previews. We started Big Picture Tuesday with Greg Rosenthal of the NFL Network, and today we're opening it up to the NFC South with the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons radio analyst and former NFL quarterback Dave Archer joins me to talk about what Atlanta was able to do in free agency and what the team's needs are in the upcoming draft. The draft kicks off April 27th at 7 o'clock Central with the first round live from Kansas City. You can watch it on the NFL Network or on ESPN. Friday will feature rounds 2 through 3 with the remaining starting Saturday at 11 a.m. Before we get into the interview with Dave, I was able to track down recently re-signed linebacker Andrew Dowell. So that conversation will follow our draft preview. Here's Dave Archer. Dave, thank you so much for joining me on the New Orleans Saints podcast. I know this is enemy territory for you, so I appreciate <laughs> you doing this. No, great to be with you. Yeah, it's it's uh, exciting times and uh, kind of some uncertain times in the uh, in the NFC South right now with what's going on at the number one position, the quarterback position. A lot going on in New Orleans, obviously, and and we're shifting gears here in Atlanta as well. So uh, a lot going on in the conference and in, in the division. Definitely. Since you brought up the quarterback position. Is Desmond Ritter the guy for the Falcons? Is he the future there? Well, I think he's going to be given the opportunity to be that guy, right? They drafted him number three or the third round a year ago out of Cincinnati. We all know his record in college, uh, 50 starts in his career in college. He won 44 of those. He never lost a game at home. Um, and that trend continued in the four games he played at the end of the year last year for Atlanta as he took over for Marcus Mariota. Uh, he lost his first two starts. One was in New Orleans. Uh, and really had a tough time there, which I can attest. I played in that building. That's hard to win in New Orleans. Went to Baltimore, really accorded himself extremely well against a good Baltimore team that went to the playoffs, and then won his last two games at home. So he is still in his career college and pro has not lost a game in his own building yet. So that's kind of cool that he takes that into the 2023 season. He's got the size. He's got all the measurables, the size, the ability to move, arm strength, so now it's the mentality. It, can he can he adapt to the adversity he's going to face as the quarterback position? And those are the uncertainties you just don't know. You 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 like the makeup. Certainly Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith when they drafted him liked the makeup of the player when they interviewed him and talked to him. Um, the way he handled himself in practice. He was one of the first guys in the building every day. His first day, he arrived at 6 a.m. And, and Arthur Smith was shocked. He says he had to beat his rookie quarterback in the building every day. That's a pretty good sign that the guy's there to do some work. And and he just waited his time, listened to Mariota, listened to the coaching staff. And when he got his opportunity, I thought he handled it well. He's got a really good even keel about him, which you also you want as a quarterback. You want a peaks and valleys guy. You want a guy that you can hang your hat on that's going to be that same guy and can elevate his game when he needs to. We don't know about the elevation of the game yet because you just mm-hmm. haven't played enough. But I think there's certain signs and tangibles that you love about him. Now, does that carry over to actually exemplary play in the field, which we need as a quarterback to win in this league? During free agency, the Falcons picked up Taylor Heineke. How likely is it that they draft another quarterback? I think there's a chance. I think that it it falls into that category on your draft board 
as you begin to look at your needs and try to match best player available on the draft, how does that kind of come together? Sometimes you, you don't want to reach for a need and, and draft a guy that maybe overdraft a guy, right? Maybe draft him way too early. You could have got him maybe later on or, or made a trade to get him. If there's a quarterback sitting there that you graded out as that guy, I think they'll take, they'll take a quarterback, but I don't think there's a, a necessary thought process that they are going to go get a quarterback. They got Logan Woodside, who they picked up during the season as kind of that serviceable camp guy, third quarterback. Heineke becomes in, as you mentioned, as a guy that's played in the league, had success in the league. Um, certainly not a top flight guy, but certainly a guy that's had success, been a starter in the league if you needed him to, and a veteran kind of presence, albeit a younger veteran. And then you've got Ritter. So I think that they're they're set as far as that goes, but I would not put out if the if the, the rankings matched up, they would take a guy. Looking at the rest of free agency, how do you think the Falcons were able to booster their roster or boost their roster? Yeah, I think that uh, uh, Terry Fontenot was very adamant about the fact that there was not a particular area they were going to attack. They were going to, and this may be you know GM speak, coach speak. They're going to try to attack the entire roster and try to you know massage the entire roster, and they did that. He stuck to stuck to his game plan. Obviously uh, acquired. Uh, the defensive coordinator, for, you know, a, a defensive coach from New Orleans that is elevated to become our, our defensive coordinator, co-defensive coordinator there. Um, and then he brought along a couple players. David Onyemata mm -hmm. is a guy that's kind of been a thorn in our side over the years playing against him on the defensive line. He's a stout interior presence. He's not a dominant player, but he's certainly a guy that you like plugged in as far as the rotation goes. And then maybe the upside of Caden Ellis, what he brings to the table, you know, he, he really kind of burst on the scene a year ago as a guy that was able to get to the passer, what, seven times last year. We've really struggled to rush the passer. So there's a there's a confidence between coach and he knows what the player can do and being able to foot, fit him into the, the whatever packages that might fit. Calais Campbell comes on as a guy that's a, a veteran. So they've, they've added players across the board. Um, and, and not just in one position. So I like that. Jesse Bates, probably the crown jewel of the of the free agency group, the top safety probably on the market. He's a guy that comes in as a young player, only 26 years old, but a guy that has made already made quite a few plays in this league. And, and that's an area that Atlanta needed to bolster that back in. Now you got to find somebody opposite A.J. Terrell, and that may be where they go in the draft early on. You know, I thought we were going to keep this friendly, but since you brought up the fact that you stole a couple of our guys, <laughs> I will bring up the fact that the Falcons have only had 39 sacks in the past two yeah. seasons combined, which is by far the worst in the NFL. Is that the biggest need there, a, a pass rusher to address in the draft? I, I think that it certainly is the top of the mind of all the Falcon fans. They want somebody like Cam Jordan that comes off the edge and strikes fear in quarterbacks' minds. Uh, and Jordan's put, there's no more fear that he's put in, in people's minds than the Falcon fans as he <laughs> owned the Falcon backfield over his years in New Orleans. So, yeah, they would like to find a guy that or two. And we drafted two guys a year ago. Arnold Ebicati came in from Penn State, who had had 10 sacks in his senior year at Penn State after transferring in from Temple. Um, he showed some signs, flashes, and they drafted a kid, a rocket out of Western Kentucky, a kid named D'Angelo Malone, who had some 35 or 40 sacks in his career at that level. Now, it only translated to one sack, and he got limited opportunities. So 
you're hoping just like New Orleans is or whoever else is in, in the National Football League that those guys you drafted a year ago take that next step. They become that next best player or they become a better player. Along with that, you've got to be able to add some other players. They just have not been able to affect the passer enough uh, to, to give them opportunity, more opportunities on the offensive side of the ball. First picks in the last two drafts for the Falcons have been offensive players with last year being wide receiver Drake London and then tight end Kyle Pitts the year before. Do you think it's likely that they do go defense with that first, the eighth pick in the first round? Well, me among the other, I don't know how many people we have living in the metro area and how many are Falcon fans, but let's say there's there's several million of us. We hope it's a defensive player. <laughs> Um, I think the uh, the offensive players there's there's enough depth in the draft where I think you can add offensive players later in the draft. I think we've seen teams do that, um, but Atlanta certainly if if one of the difference making type players is sitting there, and I'm talking about a guy like Jalen Carter out of Georgia, certainly Will Anderson's going to be gone. I would assume by then. So then what is left? Uh, Christian, Christian Gonzalez, the corner from Oregon, comes into play there. A guy that looks a lot like A.J. Terrell. That would be a nice match, but it doesn't help you along the defensive front like you just talked mm -hmm. about. So do you – how do they have it? And this gets back to where they have them graded, right? The Miles Murphys of the world or Nolan Smiths of the world that can rush the passer, how do they grade out based on where the corners grade out because you don't, again, you don't want to reach for a guy, but there is a need there. You just mentioned it. You sacked the ball, you sacked the quarterback 39 times in the last two seasons. There's probably about 10 teams in the league that had 39 plus sacks a year ago, let alone mm -hmm. over two seasons. Yeah. What other areas do you think that they're going to be looking to address here in the draft? Well, uh, I think that they'll continue to look at their offensive line. The left guard has been a bit of a problem. They've had mm -hmm. a kind of a swinging gate at left guard. I think that'll be something they'll look at maybe even early on, maybe as early as the second round. There's some really good players uh, in the draft in the guard position, I think, that are projected late first into the early second round. Atlanta drafts with the 44th pick of the second round. That could be an area they look at. I don't think they'll go offensive line in the first round. There are three highly rated guys in the top 10 of the draft in the, in the first round there. Most of those guys kind of equate to tackle. And I don't think Atlanta wants to go there. Having re-signed Caleb McGarry, uh, their first round draft pick from a few years ago, they went ahead and re-upped him. So he comes back after a good year last year. So O-line will be one they'll look at. I think the linebacker core continues to be one that's, that's, that's developing. Rashawn Evans, their leading tackler, has not been re-signed yet. He has not signed with anybody else yet either. So they, they're pretty young at the linebacker core. We mentioned Ellis coming in from New Orleans. He hasn't played a ton. Troy Anderson, who they drafted last year in the second round out of Montana State, played a good bit, but still a young dude as far as interior line and a linebacker position. That could be a place they look as well. And certainly um, if they don't take corner in the first round, this is a pretty deep corner class. You look at edge players and corners, they're probably the deepest classes or deepest groups of this draft class you might want to look at trying to get a corner there early on in the second round. Sure. The, the heir apparent to Casey Hayward. Right. Right. Yeah. Casey was banged up a year ago, played well, but he is going to be what 33, 34 Aaron. So that's, you know, at some point, you know, you've got a bunch of young guys that are bigger than you are running by you. You got to find a guy that can stick, stick up out there. And the Falcons picked up a Matt Collins at wide receiver during the free agency as well. How, how do you like that, that pickup? And is there a need for depth in that position? I think it's certainly an area that they'll look at too, again, later on in the draft, whether it's day two or day three, I think that that's an area they'll, they'll address, especially if it matches board and, mm -hmm. and how the guy's rated. 
But Matt Collins, it was a good get in the in the in the offseason. He had a really good kind of a breakout year with the Raiders last year. And he's a guy that you and I both call it covered college football mm-hmm. in, in the ACC. The guy's a, a demon when it comes to special teams. I mean, he made almost every tackle for North Carolina, it seemed like. Uh, when he was covering kicks for them, even though he was one of their best receivers. So I think you get a twofold guy and a guy that can play special teams and maybe be your third receiver. Cause Kyle Pitts coming back from injury, he's going to be that tight end. He has the ability to flex out running, being able to run four, four, five. He's a big dude that can flex out and actually play receiver for you. Drake London, you mentioned him earlier. Matt Collins maybe falls into that number three spot. With the Falcons going seven and ten the past two seasons, what they've done already in the free agent market, how do you think they're going to fare this upcoming year? Are they going to get better than that mark? Well, I think that I think that they the prognosis is that they will. I think mm-hmm. the people they've added have added more depth, better depth, where there's not that major step down. When somebody, if Grady Jarrett comes out of the game in the defensive line. If it's David, David Onyemata or Calais Campbell or somebody comes in off the bench, there's not that step down. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got a guy that's maybe as good uh, or certainly very close to being as good. And I think they were trying to do that across the, the roster. I think that bodes well for them to be better from a record standpoint. I mean, they were, they were what, five and eight, I believe, in one score. They played in 13 one-score games last year. Went five and eight in those games. You flip that around. And you go eight and five in those games. And we know you, you've been covering this a long time. You know how quickly that something like that can happen. A field goal here, a fumble there. And all yeah. of a sudden you're seven, you're 10 and seven as opposed to seven and 10. You win the division. You know, last year, nine and eight would have won the division. So, and I think this that's the last part of this equation is the division is kind of up for grabs because mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know who to count on. I like, I love the Derek Carr signing in New Orleans. He's got weapons. I mean, that defense has been formidable. That looks pretty good on paper. Um, you don't know what Carolina is going to be. And now Baker Mayfield down in, down in Tampa, they've got a ton of weapons down in Tampa. If they can get re-signed some of their defensive players. And then Atlanta with kind of some uncertainties with some additions. I mean, this could be wild and woolly here in the NFC South. You're a former quarterback. What's been the biggest difference in that position from when you played to what you see now? I think that uh, from from when I played, there's far more going on between snaps. Uh, and I mean, whether it's recognition of what's going on on the field, uh, the communication from the sideline, a lot of stuff happened in the line of scrimmage, a lot of sugar huddles and or uh, uh, kind of an up-tempo feel regardless of whether you go fast or not. So you're at the line of scrimmage. There's a lot of dummy calls at the line trying to bluff defenses, trying to guess what's going on. And then once you get them locked in, maybe get to something else in the final seconds of the play clock. So a lot going on in that mm-hmm. time before the ball gets snapped. Once the ball snapped, I don't think things have changed significantly. You're still getting zone blitzes. You're still getting pressures, you know, from one side, or it looks like they're coming from one side and they're coming from the other. Man coverage in the secondary, it becomes your matchups, your guys against their guys. But all that stuff that happens pre-snap, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, definitely. Are you getting any time off now? I mean, it is technically off season. Yeah, I'm like you. I'm I'm kind of a <laughs> junkie for it. We kind of stay in it, you know. We yeah. want to kind of build our own draft boards. We're putting a lot of stuff together for AtlantaFalcons.com here with kind of draft coverage, evaluating some of the positions like you and I are doing here as to what might affect the Falcons. I'm sure you're doing that in New Orleans. Uh, some of the places they may be going, kind of keeping the fan up to date. And, and it, it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, 
being able to uh, have that sugar. You got to have that sugar feed. So I got to have a little football in my life every day. There you go. I appreciate the time. Great insight for Saints fans. I know they they don't ever want to see the Falcons anywhere in their territory, but hopefully they'll appreciate the insight so they can know what to look for next year. Understood. Great to be with you and look forward to our trip down to New Orleans and look forward to the Saints coming here uh, next fall. Definitely. Yeah. Look forward to seeing you in in several months, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I'll look forward to it. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, hopefully you were able to get through some Falcons talk. The NFC South is up for grabs, and between us, I still like the Saints' chances to take it. Now, let's get to Andrew Dowell. Dowell originally joined the Saints near the end of the 2019 season. He's worked his way from the practice squad to playing in every single game last season as a huge contributor on special teams. It's about time we get to know Dowell a little bit better. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me on the New Orleans Saints podcast. I appreciate you jumping on today. I know you just signed or re-signed on Monday. So how are you feeling? I guess it's been a good week. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad glad you guys have me on. I'm looking forward to, you know, being back in the Superdome and with the Saints um, and looking forward to this upcoming year. When you got on to the Saints, it was with the practice squad in 2019, late in the season. You'd been an undrafted free agent got brought on with the Cowboys and then end up with the Saints, but then you've stuck here since then. What is it about your time here has, you know, allowed you to be here continuously year after year? Yeah, I think that just kind of goes to kind of how I carry myself. You know, Um, I I look at being in the NFL as my, my job and carry myself as a professional athlete, Um, you know, and you hear about the professional professionals as far as showing up on time and, and doing all the little things, even when I was, on practice squad and I wasn't getting to show what I can do on Sundays, you know, yet still just always carrying myself in the highest uh, manner. And then over time, you know, when I did get my opportunity in 2021 to, you know, start playing, making the 53 and start playing on the field, um, allowing my abilities to take over from there, I'm performing well on Sundays. So that's kind of what's kept me around, you know, I'm glad to be back um, with wearing the black and gold. All right, let's go back to 2021. Do you remember what happened on December 19th? Do you remember what game or significance uh, of that day? Ooh, I don't. Okay, I'll tell you. You became the first NFL player that year to record five stops, covered stops in a game. Cool. Yeah, yeah. That was the the nine zero game. Um, yeah, Da was coaching. Sean was out. Um, you know, and and that was a yeah a big moment. And it's um, I was talking with my brother about it. You know, and it's just kind of off of the hustle, right? As far as we punted a whole bunch of that game and, you know, running down and, and doing my job. But, yeah, to have five tackles. Um, and that wasn't a stat until uh, I think Riz or Phil had texted me after the game, you know, then and, and you see it and they send it to Hodges and you look at the tackles, right, and you're up near the top of the guys that were out there on defense and stuff like that. So those are cool moments. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. And then you come out last year and you play in every single game, all 17, and you've been just had a huge impact on the special teams unit for sure. Just what does that say about how far you've been able to come? Yeah. um, You know, I I think I'll I'll, I'll shine a light onto the coaches, you know, and the coaching staff, right. As far as development, as far as Riz, right. And, you know, blocking a punt um, when I blocked versus the Patriots, those were the same reps and moves and techniques I was using on P squad. So just over time, just, you know, sticking to it and working out, keep continuing to work um, until it shows on Sundays and, you know, you, you hear your name in a stat sheet, um, you know, in a block punt or a forced fumble or a tackle. 
Yeah. Earlier when we started talking, you mentioned being able to learn from some of the players around you. Does that include cheating off Demario Davis in meetings? Hey, whatever, whatever <laughs> it takes. If you know, if he writes down a note and you know it's like good note, I'm writing the same note down. So yeah, no, it, it's cool. Um, I love the the chemistry that we have within our uh, our even our, the locker room as a whole and even our meeting room. Right, tomorrow he'll be joking or he'll tell me something. Um, you know, and then Hodges will crack his jokes as well. So we have a really good chemistry. So I'm glad to be a part of that. What's the best advice that you've gotten from either him or Hodges or you've mentioned Craig Robertson as well? Yeah, I think, you know, it wouldn't even be something that they've said, you know, but just kind of how that they operate and how they move and, you know, DeMario's routine and seeing just how structured it is, even from a Craig Robertson and stuff like that. You know, when people ask me what's the coolest thing about being in the NFL, you know, it's not some of the perks or some of the things you see, but just the people that are in the locker room, right? And the people that you get to be around, um, you know, DeMario, Drew Brees and stuff like that. So that's the coolest takeaway to me and just being surrounded by those guys, you know, makes me a better man and better football player as well. What do you like about New Orleans, the city and the culture? Because I feel like I saw you out on some Mardi Gras floats. Yeah, I've done I've done the Mardi Gras float. I did that, uh, I think 2021 um, is when I got to do that, which, you know, when I first got to New Orleans, everybody, oh, Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras. But I never, I couldn't understand. It's like, people would tell you, oh, it's a big party. Oh, it's this. And I never got it until yeah. you experience it. And it's super cool being on the float, um, you know, throwing out beads and, and, you know, having a great time. So I've enjoyed you know, being in New Orleans for, like you mentioned, from the culture, from the food to the architecture and all of that. So taking that all in, um, you know, and I, I've appreciated my time in the city as well. I saw you tweeting recently about the women's basketball championship, the NCAA tournament. Are you a big fan of women's basketball, basketball in general, or any other sports? Yeah. Yeah. Big fan of basketball in, in general, you know, and just kind of following um, sports, right. Sports, sports is my life and, and seeing the the LSU team and seeing the success that they had, um, you know, and how they carry themselves as well. Right. Which was, which was cool to see, um, you know, from that standpoint. You know somebody that's playing at Miami of Ohio? Yes, yeah, Football? my uh, mm -hmm. my my younger brother Michael Dow. Um, he's he's uh finishing up. He'll be a senior this year. Um, you know, I'll make it out to the spring game, and he'll graduate again this. Year. He'll graduate. Um, he he already graduated from Michigan State, but he'll graduate uh this summer and stuff. So, um, that's kind of my that's that's my guy. That's you know, um, I have a twin brother. Um, but Michael, we all resemble each other. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the year that he has and knowing that he's going to give it a shot um, after he finishes up. What have you done to help him along the way? Yeah, um, you know, anything that I can, right, from from technique to to knowing how the coaches are looking at different things and stuff like that. And from even take it back to the academic side, right, as an older brother, I look at it as anything that I fail at or don't succeed at. If I'm able to pass some knowledge or advice down to him where he then succeeds at it, that that's a win to me, you know? Um, and, you know, for school, I was like getting up, get, getting off to a fast start at Michigan state and getting into the business school. Right. Which is something that he was able to hear me and my twin David talk about. And then he accomplished that and then graduated, you know, from uh, Michigan state's business school, you know, and he's getting his master's now. So, Things like that and, and just everything from the football aspect and the sport aspect and just even becoming a man as well. Are you still working towards your master's? Yeah, uh, I'll graduate next summer. Um, I got to go up Northwestern uh, over um, once our season ended. 
um, be up there on campus and stuff like that, finish up a few classes, but I'll, I'll graduate next summer with my master's in sports administration. So that's something I'm really looking forward to. And I like, um, you know, seeing the business side of sports, not only just playing sports as well. Well, maybe several, several years down the line when you're not playing football anymore, what is it that you would like to do? Would you use that degree in some way? Yeah, I guess full full grand scheme of things, you know, would be to after I'm done playing, um, you know, maybe go into business, go into the corporate world for a few years and then kind of get back on the front office side of, um, you know, a sports organization, specifically an NFL, whether it's, you know, president or something of that nature. Um, there's a few guys that have done that. And that's that's something that's really sticks out to me. Think of the guy um, John Blank on his name, but uh, the president of the, of the Washington Commanders. Um mm -hmm. He played in NFL, you know, and then went away for a little bit. And now he's back to president. So that would be the kind of ideal uh, road of path for me. It's kind of something what I envision. Have you knocked on Mickey Loomis's door and told him that that's what you want to do one day? I have not told him that right now. <laughs> I like my current job, you know, so I want him to keep me in the role that I currently have, you know. But when that time comes, uh, I, saw, I, I did have mentioned it to like Freddie uh, McAfee and stuff like that when we had a few golf outings and stuff. Um, of that nature. But uh, yeah, one day uh, I'll definitely knock on his his door for that. Yeah, there you go. Outside of football, what do you like to do for fun? What are some of your hobbies? Um, I'm really kind of, I just kind of relax. Um, you know, um, I've got a few different little hobbies. I, I played an instrument, you know, for, for a little bit. I'm trying to, I want to learn a new language, um, you know, kind of French. I've kind of picked that up from being down in New Orleans and just challenging my brain and challenging my mind in, in different ways. And I'm a guy that's always, you know, seeking knowledge and trying to learn um, the next thing or the new thing. Um, so that's something that I kind of pride myself on, but just really just relaxing, hanging out with my brothers and friends. I, every once in a while, get out and donate around uh, New Orleans, whether it's Yep Nola and different things of that. So being active in the community as well. Do you, you have a foundation, the Dowell Foundation? Yes. What do you, you do with that? Yeah, my brothers and I, uh, we started that um, two years ago, or we'll, we'll, this upcoming year, we'll have our second um, youth football camp um, in Cleveland, Ohio, at our alma mater, St. Ed's, um, you know, and that's just the beginning of understanding the um, nonprofit landscape, because for all the things that we wish to accomplish, you know, with that. So we figured getting in the ground as far as holding our first football camp, you know, making it free for all the kids to come and, and teaching them few different things along the way outside of just football and sports and making it all inclusive as well. You know, we had a whole bunch of boys and girls last year. Um, so just really doing things of that nature is something that, I, I, that we like to do as well. Very cool. All right. Typical game day for you. What's the routine? Yeah. Routine for me. Um, so I'll, I'll take, uh, let me see where I'm thinking about where to start at. Um, okay. Yeah. So game day team hotel, uh, I do my little, I do a kind of like a pregame, try to get my mind right. Uh, I'll take a shower with all the lights off, um, you know, kind of zen in, get locked <laughs> in and stuff like that. Um, then I like to get over to the uh, stadium early. Um, you know, I, I'll get my IVs and stuff like that. Get out there, warm up a few different warm up routines um, and just kind of lock it in, get ready for the game. I It's not part of my routine, but a routine I make sure I don't um, mess up is Demario's locker is right next to mine. And he lays out all his stuff before the game. So I make sure that I never, you know, step over or knock a sock out of place um, and things like that. So but just just being in the locker room, you know, it's it's a cool atmosphere. One of the coolest things for me, you mentioned game day, 
is when we're in the tunnel and they shut the lights off, you know, and we're all bobbing our heads every, especially in the Superdome, every time before we get way to run out, I think of how, I think I look at it from the view of my younger self, you know, and how just amazed he would be at what we get to see and what we get to experience as far as everybody's bobbing their heads and stuff like that. You see the lights getting ready to come on. And that's something that's I'll never take for granted, um, you know, and it's the coolest part to game day for me when I get to take that moment and look at it through my younger selves eyes and, you know, what my brothers was thinking and, and things like that. So one of your game day superstitions is not to mess up Demario Davis's routine and what he has going on. Yep. Do not mess up his routine, <laughs> you know, um, right. Yeah. Step over the socks. He, he lays it out like a prime time and stuff like that, which is super cool. Um, yeah. So yeah, don't, don't get in the way of that. Um, and, and kind of do my role as well. Yeah. It's so cool to see the entrance for you guys at the Superdome, even sitting, you know, way up top, you know, watching the lights go off and all the blinking flashing phones. And it's such a different vibe inside the Superdome. And, and you hear from opposing players that come in about just how intimidating it is, but just how cool of a fan base do you think the Saints have? Yeah, they got the they got the best in the um you know in the landscape of the NFL as far as even the city and culture of New Orleans. You see, you know, team or away fans make New Orleans their destination spot, right? Where they pick a game on a calendar, that's where they want to go watch a game at, you know. And that's credit to the fans, credit to the city, um, you know. And it's super super cool. Um, when we got to play in uh, Cleveland this past year, it was a super cool experience for me, you know, being at home had a whole bunch of uh, family and friends in the stands. It was freezing out there, but, yeah. you know, they, they had their big winter jackets and stuff. So, um, yeah, playing in different stadiums across the across the league is a really cool experience, but there's nothing like being at home in a Superdome. All right. So I kind of put a, putting you on the spot here, but what's one of your goals for this upcoming season? Yeah, um, goals for upcoming season would be to, you know, carry myself as a leader, be a leader in the locker room, um, continue to develop as a linebacker and be a dominant special teams player, you know, even across the league, right, where, um, you know, I, I did get some uh, kudos from other coaches, you know, after games this past year as far as I like the way that you play, I like the way that you carry yourself, and that's just, you know, them seeing how you work on film and how you work, you know, in between the lines day in and day out and stuff like that. So um, just continue to expand upon the – um, kind of growing niche that I've carved out for myself in the NFL. That's awesome. Well, it's been fun watching you play. I wish you all the success this upcoming season. It'll be here before we know it. You know, thank you for the time today. Yep. Thank you so much. And um, look forward to be back in New Orleans. So soon. Appreciate Dowell joining me. Personally, I loved how he looks at Demario Davis's notes during team meetings and copies down what he makes note of because he figures that's something he should be keeping track of. Next week, we'll hit on the Panthers and the Bucks as we continue to go around the NFC South. Thank you so much for listening today. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the New Orleans Saints podcast. Join us three times per week on NewOrleansSaints.com, the Saints mobile app, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. We'll see you next time right here on the New Orleans Saints podcast.